Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong, the Leicester Mercury's Leicester City podcast. I'm James Sharp. With me today is my colleague Jordan Blackwell. And we are here to discuss all things Leicester City, including the victory over Brighton, who performed well and where it leaves Leicester um, in the race for seventh and that Europa League space. Um, Jordan, uh, a victory in the end, um, but you might say that Leicester were a little bit fortunate to get it. Club well admitted that Brighton probably deserved a little bit more. Uh, how did you see it? Yeah, I think there's a, a there's an agreement there between the coaching staff, the the players, the reporters, the fans that Leicester didn't deserve all three points um, for the first really for the first 75 minutes. Not a lot happened in the game other than Glenn Murray's one on one. Then we had a, a, a spate of action um, which Leicester came out on top. The Schmeichel saved the penalty. Leicester created two chances and scored in both, which um, Makes a nice change that they they, they put away their chances, but yeah, no, probably didn't deserve um, to come away with the win. Yeah, I know uh, our colleague Rob was sat next to me. For the first 75 minutes, he turned and said, it's, it's a good job there's no word count on the match report because literally nothing happened <laughs> for that first 75 minutes. And then it all just exploded. I suppose the one thing that went against Leicester was Ndidi's red card, which we'll come yeah. to later on. I suppose the biggest talking point from the game, though, was the performance of Kasper Schmeichel, who had been the one to receive all the criticism in the FA Cup game and it was his kind of coming out for that for the cross which allowed Pedro to head in the winner in the quarterfinal that knocked Leicester out. Lots of criticism for Casper, some people even calling for him to be dropped from the side or given a bit of a rest. I know in our pre match team select I think quite a few fans opted to put Jakopovic in instead. Mm-hmm. But um as all kind of good players do Responded to that criticism and that important performance of the season. Yeah, I mean there was a there wasn't a great deal for him to do. There was a there was a few pot shots from Brighton outside the box um, that he had to tip over, um, and the one on one. Glenn Murray actually said after the game that the way Schmeichel closed it down and the the way he he tightened the angle for Murray actually what sort of made him miss I mean maybe Murray that's <laughs> Murray's trying to excuse himself um, for, for missing a one on one but there was praise there and obviously there's the penalty save as well which which Powell described as a turning point and it was the turning point it gave less of that little bit of enthusiasm they could they could get uh, the three points um, and saving a penalty in, in any game is is massive because it's you well, it's a, a four out of five chance that it goes in mm. um, so to to save it when it's you know it was a decent penalty, perhaps you'd say it was an, a nice height, but he still had to guess the right way and still had to get strong hands behind it. Um, so yes, a very um, very assured performance and was probably Leicester's man of the match. Yes, and he's now saved as many Premier League penalties uh, in as his dad has, but don't make the mistake <laughs> of telling him that like one of the journalists did in, in the mix zone afterwards. Um, we all know Casper's pet hate is being compared to his compared to his dad, and the journalist asked him. Are you aware of the fact you've now saved as many as him? 
the answer was about three words long. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a super excellent performance from Casper, who, like I say, he, he's received quite a few critics this season mm. for a few errors, the, the ones at Man City, obviously the one at Chelsea, but like I say, the the mark of a, of a, of a good, of a, of a, of a top-class player is how they respond well, and, and we thought we thought that he did. But moving on now, this was the one point, the one area where Leicester are going to have a bit of trouble and the one area that did go against them is the sending off of Wilfred Ndidi. Mm-hmm. Um, a second, two, two yellow cards, so can't can't appeal it. And because he's already been sent off once this season, that means he's now going to miss two games. Uh, start off with the incident itself, having seen it back, do you feel he was hard done by? Yes, having seen it back. Um, I think watching it first time round, mm. uh, I didn't really have any problem with it. Um, it's only when you see the replay and you see that he does get a, a touch on the ball and uh, Shane Duffy does seem to go down rather easily. Um, as quickly as indeed he went down after being shown yes, the second yellow card. Yeah. Um, and I think you can probably see it in indeed in his reaction how just quite how distraught he was uh, that he'd been sent off, um, that that there wasn't anything in it. Um, but you. <laughs> He was risking it by being on a yellow card. The first one, the first yellow card, was deserved. Yeah. Um, I suppose you've got to be a little bit more careful. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. It's disappointing, but I feel I do have some sympathy for the referee because, as you say, in real time. I remember when when we were there watching it in real time. As soon as it happened, you thought, "Oh, he's in trouble here. Yeah. He's in big trouble." And then he gets shown it, and without before watching the replay. It's a, I know it's a, a cliche, but referees don't get to see a replay. In real time, it did look like it was close. In the replay, shows you that he gets the ball. So you can't really go on his reaction because any player can pretend that he's, he's yeah, got won the ball. But, yeah. um, but you could see how devastated he was. And you can forgive fans a little for potentially <laughs> reacting in the same way because... It now means he's missing the next two games, yeah. one of which is that humongous game against Burnley. We spoke to Claude well after the game and I asked him how how big a blow is that for you because indeed he's so crucial to how Leicester play. We all know the stats about him winning the ball back more than any other player in Europe. How are Leicester going to go about replacing him? The obvious, well, I say obvious, the, the, the thought that everyone is thinking is Adrian Silva will come in in, in in his place, but they aren't the same kind of player. They're different attributes. How are Leicester going to go about? How's Klopp well going to go about making that or replacing him? Um, well, with with great difficulty. Cause it's not something they've had to think about this season. Because even after the the first red card against Crystal Palace, the game that indeed he was suspended for yeah. was the League Cup game. Um, so he's, he's still started every Premier League game. Um, so it is a new problem. I think because of the teams Leicester are playing, uh, Newcastle and Burnley, they're the games uh, Ndidi misses, um, I think they'll probably be okay to play Silva and uh, Ibora together. Um, I think, like you say, Silva doesn't have the same attributes, but he is quite energetic and he will, you know, he is box to box and he will get around and he'll try and get a foot in, um, but he won't be able to win as many interceptions or nowhere near as many tackles as indeed he does but I think because they're playing Newcastle and Burnley um, they're going to be playing against teams where they're going to have more of the ball um, 
so there's, there won't be such an emphasis on trying to win it back. Um, so I think they'll probably get away with it. Yeah, a big chance as well for Adrian Silva to prove himself. Really, yeah. we've, we've all everyone knows the story of him missing four months of football and not being able to practice or have to train on his own, which is naturally going to put you put you back in your development or match fitness. So when Leicester have seen him in kind of fits and starts, he's either impressed in short spells or he's not lived up to the to the hype I suppose mm. I, mean, I suppose when, you, when you're on the sidelines for three months and you aren't, the team's not performing well your hype then builds and builds yeah. and as you said before you're always a better player when you're not in the team and the mm. team's not doing very well so a huge chance for him I think to to show what, what he's all about um, so that's a positive the other question I suppose is everyone is thinking well it's definitely going to be silver is it definitely going to be silver are there other ways that well could go about squaring that circle we've got Matthew James Hamza Chowdhury maybe are they are they options for him well I think if if Matthew James is fit I think that becomes a big option uh, because we know how much Puel likes James and he is um perhaps more de- slightly more defensive yeah. and obviously he's got that a, a little bit more experience than he has played alongside Ibora before um, Chowdhury we know, also know Puel was a big fan of he gave him his Premier League debut at, uh, against Spurs last November um, he's a regular at the Puel's a regular at the under-23s mm-hmm. games where Chowdhury's captain and they're challenging for the title the, you know, they've been the, the best under-23s team in the country um, this year Um and because he is a defensive midfielder, maybe Puel will think he'll go with him. And you know he's played more Premier League minutes alongside Ibora mm. than Silva has. Silva and Ibora have only played a couple of FA Cup games together um, against Fleetwood and Peterborough. Um, so it's not it's not necessarily that they're going to you know there might be take some time to for them to click if they play. But to be honest, I think any midfield partnership look, because Leicester don't have that. Um, they don't have a duo that they're always playing yeah. all the time. I suppose Ibora and Ndidi are getting there. Um, but yeah, because they don't have any other duos that they play all the time. Um, they're always going to take a little bit of time to click. Um, but it'd be interesting to see. I think, think certainly the, the interesting thing will be to see what Puel says regarding James's injury um, yes. on, 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 at the press conference on Thursday. That's true as well. Um, I mean, I can't wait for the, the, the standard fans' Twitter meltdown if James is selected ahead of Silver, which could well happen but I think the Achilles problem we know James has suffered with it already this season yeah. missed a large chunk of the season so I'd be surprised if he's risked um, especially if he's still feeling a little bit of soreness um, knowing what James is, is like kind of injury wise Chowdhury's interesting I think because he, you'd say he's probably the most like for like of everyone I know Puel said afterwards that we don't have a player that has the same attributes if you were to look for the closest, you probably would say Chowdhury is the one. So that is an interesting option. I, when there's so much to play for in this race for Europe, as we like to call it, it's a bit of a risk whether he goes with him, yeah. I think. Um, but we'll, we'll wait and see, and we'll, we'll find out more on Thursday. We can move on now to other kind of players that we thought performed quite well. Um, talking about criticism that players have been receiving. Uh, few have received as much over the last few weeks as Ben Chilwell has. Mm-hmm. We've spoke on this podcast a, a few times now about 
about the patience that fans need that need to show in him have have found it difficult to show in him because he's a young player who's naturally going to go through dips in form. He was going through a dip in form, and people were calling out for Fuchs to, to come back in. But but Puel, as he has done all the way through, has really has shown faith in him, and that faith was repaid with you would probably say is one of Chihuahua's most accomplished defensive displays of the yeah, season. Definitely. Um, I think that's that's the key thing that, that he's been lacking. Um, we know his, his quality going forward, his, his dribbling on the ball is exceptional. Mm. Um, the way he keeps it under control and the way he sort of glides past players. Um, but what we've not really seen is Eddie kind of um, we've not seen an assured performance in defence and we've not seen much end product yeah um, the last few weeks we have seen end product he, he set up the goal uh, he set up Ianacho's goal at, at West Brom and he set up Ibora's goal at, yeah. at Brighton and also set up a goal um, for the under tw- England under 21s as well um, and also he was a lot more composed in defence uh, as well at Brighton he wasn't beaten quite so easily he, I think he has a tendency to to sometimes dive in to try to intercept yeah. uh, a ball forward and then gets caught out um, but really that's the that is the big thing you learn as a as a fullback i mean yeah. he's still only he's, he's still um you know it, it, at the very start of his career and i think that is the sort of thing you are going to be ha- have to be patient with him, him learning about when's the right time to try and intercept a ball where the, what the right position to be is um, but i think there's at least at Brighton, at least there was a, some kind of improvement there, or, or signs of the, the, uh, that he was starting to get the, the gist of things. Yeah, because we always say, don't you? You, we, you talk about centre backs and say that they don't come into their prime of understanding the role defensively more than anything until <clears throat> they're 27, 28, 29. Yeah. It's that understanding of the defensive side of the game that is the last thing, not the last thing, but it, it's the most difficult thing to learn. You learn that with experience. Yeah. and. Joe doesn't doesn't really have that, not at the the top level anyway, and and he's only just starting to get that experience with with the the faith that Puel is showing in him. I I can understand fans' frustrations, especially when there's stuff to fight for, and so you want, or you need a kind of end product in your performance. But I think with with, with faith that he's being showed, eventually it'll get there. (coughs) Excuse me. Um... Another one is Damari Gray, in the sense that he's a player that's always wants to wants to start more, wants more game time. He's made no secret of that in the past, but hasn't really shown the the consistent end product in terms of goals and assists that would justify that. Came off the bench against Brighton and picked up an assist. How, yeah. how did you you? Um, see his performance yeah well I think it, it was important for him I think Powell said that he got um, he had a bit of a confidence boost by captain in the under 20, England under 21s uh, twice over the international break which I, I think is true um, yeah and it was nice to see him you know be involved in a goal I think too often Gray focuses so much on trying to beat his man um, that he sometimes tries to beat his man more than once mm. rather than thinking about how can I set somebody up? How can I create a chance? Um, I also think too often he tries too hard to impress. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I feel like this has always been one of his problems that <clears throat> he's he knows his opportunities are so few and far between that he thinks he really needs to impress. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, whenever he gets an opportunity. He thinks he needs to score a 30-yard strike. He thinks he needs to dribble around five players and, and, and set one up. Um, because otherwise he won't get to play the next game. Mm. Um, and so often he, try, he, he tries too hard. He tries to do that and they aren't going to come off. He's, he's, his shot selection pretty poor, to be honest. Mm. He's always cutting in and shooting uh, You know when he's got about five or six yeah. bodies in front of him. Um, but yeah, so it was nice to see. I mean, it helped that Leicester on the counter and Brighton were throwing bodies forward. I have to admit, I was shouting from the press box to take it to the corner, run to the corner, run to the corner. Yeah. And, we, and Schmeichel also admitted afterwards that he was doing the same thing. So, for at one point, I was quite frustrated with him <laughs> that he was making the wrong decision again. But obviously, he didn't. Yeah, and he, he played the perfect ball straight across the six-yard box and sort of avoided the goalkeeper and the defenders and straight into Vardy's path. So. Yeah, that was very good, um, but I still don't think, unfortunately for him, I still don't think there's, we've seen enough um, from him for him to displace either Albrighton or Mahrez in the team. Yeah. We always talk about how much better Leicester play, or historically Leicester play, with Shinjokozaki in the side. Um, however, for once, Shinji had... I possibly one of his worst performances yeah. I've seen <laughs> for, for a long time. Usually, it's, usually it does come after an international break, but it's usually because, as Claudio used to say, his brother was returning because he's been travelling 20,000 miles around the world. This time he didn't have that excuse, so we all thought, especially with him fighting for to get back in the Japan side, that he could be on for pulling off one of his best performances. Fortunately, it was one of his worst. When Diabata came on, yeah. Leicester looked a far more assured unit and looked more clinical in that um, in that final third. How did you assess the performances of, of, of both and how Leicester improved when Diabata came on? Yeah, I think that it certainly seemed like there was a, a change in tactic between the two. It wasn't. It clearly wasn't working with with Okazaki. Leicester weren't keeping the ball well enough. They were they were playing passes that were going you know out of play. Um, Paul kept shouting at him a lot. Yeah, um, he, he was Okazaki was losing the ball as he as he occasionally does. Um, he wasn't able to link up with with the wide players. Um, but when Diabate came on, there seemed to be a change in that. Leicester seemed to stop playing long balls, but I don't know if that was because Puella said stop playing long balls. We need to yeah. play into feet or because. Leicester were playing long balls because they didn't have anybody to pass to so they were thinking okay let's try and get Vardy in behind yeah because um, our colleague from Radio Leicester Mike McCarthy tweeted out some stats after the game yeah. which is Leicester's passing before Diabata came on and then passing after they came on he came on after he came on Leicester were much more accurate in that final yeah. third and I, I, I'd be tempted to give the praise to Diabate for that yeah um, I think operating between the lines as you know as Okazaki does um Diabate did that really well and he was able to find more space I think possibly because he he's will, more willing to drift out wide mm. um, whereas Okazaki sort of moves he moves about a bit but he never really moves beyond the width of the penalty area yeah. whereas Diabate will sometimes go all the way over to the wing uh, to where Albrighton or Grey was or where Mares was um, and so I think that helped a little bit but also what helped was that while Okazaki's general plan is to once he gets the ball to offload it to one of the wingers 
Diabate is more than happy to, to receive the ball and then dribble himself. Yeah. So Leicester were able to keep the ball on the front foot for a little bit longer. It wasn't coming straight back. Um, they were able to get players there in support. And I think that really helped. And obviously, Diabate can't offer the, or certainly wouldn't expect him to offer the kind of harassing, yes, yeah. and the, the, you know, the, you know, putting off the opposition defenders and defensive midfielders like Okazaki yeah. does. Um, and also, Okazaki, one of Okazaki's key things is making runs that allow give more space to Vardy, which is exceptional at, which often goes unnoticed because yeah. he doesn't receive the ball. Um, but certainly, Diabate did really well. I'm a really big fan of him. I think he looks really confident on the ball whenever yeah, was, he gets it. I was just going to say, more generally then, how much has he impressed you in his not just at Brighton, but in his general, how quickly he's adapted to the Premier League. Because he's another player from League Two, and I know that automatically brings parallels with with Mares. Yeah. He's really young. He's he's just when Riyad came over, he came straight into the Championship. So you would argue, while it's probably more physical, it's quality-wise, it's say it's below. Yeah. So he had time to build his game in the Championship before moving to the Premier League. Duarte's not had that. No. Yes, he's played in a couple of FA Cup games against lower league opposition, so that helps, but he's being asked to perform at the top level in the Premier League straight away, and while he is young and he is going to have dips in form because he is so inexperienced, he's looked, I don't want to use the word ready-made, but he's looked like he's adapted to it quicker than you'd probably expect a youngster from League from League 2 to do so. Yeah, definitely. I think it... One of the big things is his, his movement's kind of unusual. I think he, when he receives the ball, he, he he turns in a way that I don't think Premier League defenders expect. And maybe that's because because of that inexperience, and maybe because of things that worked when you're in the, the French mm. second division. He, he's, he's turning inside and out, and he's been able he's been able to create space for himself. But I think the big thing is is that he's confident he's, he's mm. more than happy to accept the ball he's more than happy to, to play uh, you know sort of short intricate passes with, with his teammates um, I think that's really helping and if, if I was in charge I think I'd probably start him behind Vardy was, against Newcastle that was, that was my next question was, we've said that Gray's not quite done enough to get into that starting lineup. Diabati for you has yes I, I think so and I think what also helps is that because he can <coughs> because he can play wide you can have that sort of interchange of positions between him and Mares, mm. and also maybe even Albright can come into the middle um, as he's played occasionally. But certainly, because I mean, one of the big things was that um, Mares was coming inside all the time against Brighton because I think he felt that there wasn't enough creativity in mm. there. So he was just he was basically playing in the middle, um, but he can afford to do that. And still have an option wide because Diabate will make the run yeah. and it will go out onto the right. Um, so yes, from in my opinion, I would I would start Diabate. I think he, he deserved a, a chance. I agree. Again, another impressive performance from Leicester's new newest recruit. Another recruit from the summer who is performing sublimely now. He's regained that position in the centre midfield. Is Vicente Abora, who. We all know what he brings to the to the team in his composure and and calmness and his ability to to control tempo, control the ball, and pass it out. That is such an important tool in the way that Claude wants his team to play in that possession based working the way through. But what we saw against Brighton and what we also saw against West Brom 
is that he also offers Leicester another dimension when it comes to Leicester's attacking play, and that is his aerial prowess. Mm. That's now goals in back-to-back league, league games, both of them with his head. This, the stat on the BBC over the weekend that 30-odd percent of his goals in, in Europe's top five leagues are with his head. Yeah. Leicester have players who can cross the ball into the box, like Mark Albrighton, but having sent out both Ujoa and Slomani out on loan, because they don't really fit into, the, into Leicester's attacking system, that aerial presence isn't really there. In Abora, do we now have someone who can offer a real genuine aerial threat um, in attack? Yeah, I think so. But uh, the only issue I would say with with focusing on Ibora's aerial threat is that he doesn't. That would mean expecting him to be a box-to-box midfielder and get up to support the attack to get in the box. I think it that is, would mean him sprinting and breaking sweat. <laughs> yes, which he doesn't. Which <laughs> no. he doesn't do. But uh, not that that's a problem because he, he has a role to play. But certainly from free kicks and corners, I think he that's that's an extra w- person for the. The opposition defence to be wary of, you mm. know, along with Maguire and Morgan. Because um, I felt that Leicester had, um, when he wasn't in the side, Leicester struggled defensively from set plays because yeah. he's so important. With six foot three, only Maguire and Huth are bigger than him as outfield players. But he had, he kind of dominated that that near post at corners yeah. and would and would defend very well. I felt when he was out of the team, I don't know the stats, but I felt like Leicester weren't as confident at set plays. Yeah, I know. I, I agree <coughs> with that. I think. You know, defending set pieces has been a, a problem, and Schmeichel has actually said he thinks it helps defensively um, when Ibora does play because he can, because he can intercept and he can basically get his head on things. Um, so yes, I think it's it's certainly an extra weapon that uh, Leicester can utilise, but I don't think they should rely on it because I don't, I don't think there are enough opportunities for Ibora to get forward and support the attack. It helped on on. Saturday against Brighton because Leicester were going for it mm. and so Ibora did push up and get into the box but um, particularly with Ndidi out of the team you'd expect Ibora to drop even deeper um, and so I think they'll have to rely on someone else to head it in Yes <coughs> That brings us to two quite huge games coming up for Leicester I know we've got one first but everyone is now looking ahead to that huge yeah. game now at at Burnley in what again using cliches is is season defining in the sense that that could either make or kill off Leicester's chances of of reaching the Europa League Burnley are three points ahead of Leicester now Leicester got Newcastle to play Burnley playing Watford assuming things stay as they are Leicester could either go ahead of them on goal difference if they win at Turf Moor or Leicester could be six points behind Burnley how big a game is that? Um, <coughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's huge. It will be the the season-defining game, I think, because if you look at both teams' fixtures, mm. you would probably say they're a similar level of, of difficulty. Mm. Both teams have got um, two of the top six left to play, um, and I think you would expect from their other fixtures, both teams to get about the same amount of points. Mm. Um, you know, you know, there's, there's still plenty of time for for teams to slip up or pull uh, pull results out of the bag, but it seems like that will make or break 7th place mm. and whoever wins um, will get 7th place obviously if it's a draw you would say that Burnley remain favourites for that uh, for that position so yeah I think it, I think it's huge and um, it's, it's going to be it's going to be difficult but I think that um, as Powell has said you, you don't really want to start thinking about it now because 
if you then slip up at, against Newcastle because of it, then it's over anyway. Yeah. Uh, because at home to Newcastle is one of the games that Leicester need to win to keep pace with Burnley, I would say. On current form, do you see that being uh, likely? Well, given the recent home games against Premier League teams, you'd be probably not too confident. Um, obviously, Leicester had those draws against Swansea, Stoke and Bournemouth at home uh, around February time. And they, sh they looked like they were struggling to break down teams that were happy to come for a point. Yeah. Um, I imagine Newcastle would be happy to come for a point because I don't think they're as desperate perhaps as they want were, once were uh, they've, you know, they've been in and they've actually been in really good form yeah. and they've picked up a lot of good results um, so you'd think they would look at Leicester away and think okay we're not desperate for points we're, we're slowly moving away from relegation an extra point added to our total would be fine and so they might sit back and that's where Leicester do struggle to break teams down um, so yes it could be another tricky one but then saying that Leicester did were patient against West Brom and eventually broke them down. They were patient against Brighton, although they were, you perhaps say they were fortunate, but yeah. they, they were patient and they eventually created the chance to, to break them down and get a goal. So as long as they remain patient and, most importantly, don't concede uh, on the counter-attack, um, then they should get three points. Let's hope so. We will have more um, building up to the game against Newcastle later in the week. Um, with headlines from Claw Post press conferences and another, and another podcast and keep checking back on the website throughout the week for more build up to that game thank you for listening and we'll see you next time